0: The legendary Dale Thompson is here with The Antidote. This is an honor.
1: Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad you read that exactly the way that I wrote it for you.
0: I was wondering about that. I wasn't sure if I should have added things in like you're famous, you're incredibly talented, good-looking, or something else. Uh, The word icon comes to mind, but that's just me being humble. (laughs) (laughs) You left out about The Strongest Man in Kentucky.
1: Uh, I used to do uh powerlifting meet uh, probably about 15 years ago, but I uh, used to compete on a professional level of powerlifting. Um, I had gotten out of boxing and wanted to do more damage to my body. So I uh, <laughs> got into that and I, I guess I was strong for my, my size because I was uh, winning all these trophies and getting all these accolades for being a weightlifter. But Now, at over a half century old, I'm paying the price with my uh, my joints and ligaments and all the other things that happen to get crushed when you're picking up such
0: weight. (laughs) I totally empathize. All the stuff I did years and years and years ago, now I'm paying for it.
1: Yeah, it it definitely comes back. You know, I was 198 pounds and I was uh, benching 550 pounds, so that tells you the insanity and the levels
0: that I,
1: I was going to to, to be Kentucky's
0: strongest man. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, Dale, I've got to say, it's intimidating to have you here. Because, I mean, I've had artists on whose music I've followed for a long time. But there's only a couple that have been around longer than you have. I started listening to Bride in the early 90s. What about taking us back and telling us the beginnings of Bride?
1: Uh, Well, Troy, who is my brother and guitar player and music writer, we were collaborating at a very young age and actually started a band uh, called Matrix, which was leading us into what we do now rather than some of the other things we did even earlier than that. But uh, we started off calling ourselves Matrix, and we were a three-piece band. We recorded uh, three demos, and we were uh, picked up by a record label out of Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Uh, From there, we started Bride. Matter of fact, the the Bride contract has the word Matrix crossed out, and the word Bride wrote in because we changed the name of the band during signing of the contracts. (laughs) Um, The label saw Matrix play, but they, um, they didn't know we were about to change our names.
0: Actually, I had spoken with Dan McCabe of Daniel Band a few years ago. Oh, yeah. And he said there's a connection between you two.
1: Yeah, matter of fact, we we opened for the Daniel Band that night. Uh, The promoter, Dorn, um, I think his last name is Report or Repaport. He got a a cassette demo of Matrix and said, listen, I'm doing an album release party for the Daniel Band. And I I can give you about 500 bucks for gas and travel and some pizza if you'll come up and open for them. And I said, sure, that's that sounds great. Uh, I love the Dangle Band. I've, you know, probably five, six albums I've owned of theirs, and um, and always really just just liked everything about them. They had a great sound, kind of like the band Fireworks that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, great band. Anyway, we went up and um, opened the show, and it actually opened with about a twenty-minute drum solo because the power went down. <laughs> and I forced our drummer to play a twenty-minute drum solo before we got into our set. <laughs> so he was he was tired going into the show. It was uh, it was pretty hilarious. And then I remember running from the back of the stage to get on on stage just because uh, I was running through the crowd for theatrics. And I actually stood on the sound system and moved all the levels around before I got on stage by accident. And at that particular night we had we were using flash powder and some explosives and our guitar player got blown up. Uh so that was pretty cool. So it the, overall it was a complete disaster and then the uh the record company still wanted to uh to sign us. <laughs> oh little did they yeah, know. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they they knew later and then they then then they all fell out of the faith and went their own different ways. Uh, I guess they weren't in it for the right reasons, so. <laughs>
0: Sounds like your memory is pretty good, Dale. You've got to fill me in on something else. How many Bride albums have there been?
1: Five thousand. We've did five thousand as of January.
0: That's good. Uh, Yeah,
1: yeah. No, um, I've I've lost count. You know, it's it's courting if we're counting the demos that were released on the Lost Reels uh, CDs, or because some of those songs that nobody had heard until then. So. Uh, I always just say about 15, 20, something like that. And then all of my side projects, which I've done more music now that I've been in New Zealand than I've done at any one time
0: during the Bride years. Bride made a big jump switching from metal to hard rock in 91 when you uh, released Kinetic Faith. Why did the band make that style change?
1: Well, what the diehard metal fans did not understand is metal doesn't sell in this market at all. So even though here we were being a big name releasing Live to Die, which to me is one of the the top five classic Christian metal albums of all times, and releasing Silence is Madness, those albums just weren't selling very well. And I wanted to have some longevity. And I saw the places that we were having to play, a little hole in the wall, coffee houses and church sanctuaries and even church basements. So um, I made a, an effort to write more hard rock style, and that launched us into playing before thousands of people and traveling the world many times over. So we did make the right decision to the chagrin of our supporters at the time, but a lot of them have came on board since then because I, I guess their their taste in music has mellowed. There's still the, the hardcore biogenesis people out there and the, the hardcore vengeance uh Fans that have never changed. That's all they want. And that's fine. But if they knew the truth of how all of those bands have to struggle just to get an album out, to get it released, and then how hard you have to push it to sell just to break even, they would really appreciate the bands a whole lot more. I'm back in that situation now because the Christian market has shrank so much in the alternative compared to the pop CCM uh, genre of music that you know i'm having to do all the promotion of, of all the bands that that i have in all the projects so on a daily routine you know i'm 4 or 5 hours promoting bands all of them are my bands but there's just that small of a market i mean that's one of the reasons i don't tour um, i cannot break
0: even and i can't afford to go on the whole and well especially when you're flying from new zealand
1: <laughs>
0: you can't afford the
1: airfare even when I was living in Kentucky, uh, the promoters got
0: to the point where it
1: was like, you know, we'll, we'll pay your gas money, put you in a hotel room, and you guys can have pizza. And I'm like, you know what, man? I'm I'm over 50 years old, and uh, yeah, I don't I don't want to travel 13 hours one direction. I've already been there, done that. So, um, you know, I'm I'm quite content with just sitting in my home studio. Uh, bands send me songs. I I recorded one right before this uh, interview um, of a project I'm doing called Dapster Gentleman, which we just released an album, but I'm working on the third album. So, you know, that's how busy I am. I'm, I'm way deep in recording right now. And I'm very happy to be, be recording on my own terms in my own time in my own uh, relaxation. I am, I'm several albums ahead. In other words, People are going to see me, whether I'm still on the planet or not, for the next few years. That's how much unreleased stuff that I have recorded since I've been in New Zealand.
0: (laughs) But that's insane. Here you are, being in the music machine all these decades. This is where a lot of guys are slowing down, but you're virtually busier now than you were in the past.
1: I'm much busier making less money. Uh, no Travels, which suits me just fine, and everything that I'm doing is a labor of love that makes zero dollars, you know, from Dapster Gentleman, which I uh, mentioned a couple times, uh, to the uh, the electronic metal band that I've got, the Thomas Thompson Earth Project that I'm doing. That's an incredible album, and I'm working on album number two, even though the first one has not even been mixed yet. Uh, Perpetual paranoia, which we've released one album, and I've, I'm working on the third album, uh, releasing No Other God uh, album, uh, probably on on Rock's Records. So yeah, I mean it's just it's just a lot of stuff. Oh, and I, and I just finished the third, uh, the World Will Burn album. We'll probably just end with the three uh, CDs on that. But I'm open for people to collaborate with. You know, uh, I've had a few people send me stuff, but if I don't think that I can add to it. Or be instrumental in, in helping people, you know, with their music. Then, then I'll decline. But one of the bands I'm working with, and I won't mention which one, they they had given up. They're like, just we can't do anything. I've got this this album recorded, and uh, nobody's interested in it. And so I wrote them, and I said, listen, let me let me do the vocals. Let me write the lyrics. Let me write my melodies. And they did. And you know, it's some of the coolest stuff I've ever done. So I'm really happy
0: with it. Wow, was that ever cool. Well, listen, how about if I switch back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago about Kinetic Faith? That included a song, Everybody Knows My Name. You know, even though it wasn't happy or positive, it really made an impact with the public. So how come? Um, I'm
1: not for sure other than, you know, it did have a Guns N' Roses flair. It was reminiscent of, of those styles of music back then. And, um... I think that the video that the record company did—it was a high-energy video—I think that prompted it, and we got out there and and we were touring with it. We were we were playing. It hit radio, and radio picked it up. We were like 15 weeks number one on the when they had the CCM metal charts. You know, we were getting accolades, and people loved it, and uh, it got us out there in order to minister, and you know, it just opened a lot of doors. But it was a very powerful song, and. I don't know. I, I think that people just love the way that it flowed. It was a great, great song.
0: Well, that song title, "Everybody Knows My Name," it certainly fits with the popularity that Bright had in South America. You guys had huge shows there. Why was that?
1: Um, the uh, the church that brought us down to uh, Brazil they they owned a, a TV station and owned a radio station, and it was two of the largest broadcasting. The people of Brazil are, are very religious people, very uh, God-fearing. If you've never been to Brazil, then you've never seen hospitality. I mean, they, they're very loving and kind people. And the church that brought us down there was one of the biggest, and they had a lot of starter churches they had built up around the country that basically answered to the Big Mother Church. The pastor, he, um, he basically told everybody, I'm bringing this American band in. I want everybody here. And when they came, there was 100,000 people in the, the audience. <laughs> and we were the, we were the headline act. So needless to say, we just kept going back to Brazil. And because you go to Brazil and play for 40,000 people night after night at different places, you know whether you're playing Brazil or playing uh, Sao Paulo or Rio or Salvador Recife, you Recife, know, wherever you were playing, uh, there was always this massive amount of people. Then, then we'd come back to the States and play to 300 people. So yeah, you know, you start doing the math on that and it's like, hey, we're going to spend more time in Brazil because we're not getting the support in the States that we need. Not that the, the, the American fans didn't like us. It's just there wasn't that many in this genre. People either loved Metallica and Motley Crue and those type of bands, or they loved Amy Grant. There was no in-between and Christian metal was definitely in-between there somewhere.
0: You have to admit, you're actually an Amy Grant closet fan, aren't you?
1: <laughs> well, I was good friends with Gary Chapman for a while, but uh, once once Amy and, and Gary split, well, I mean, I was a huge Twilight of Paris fan, but not, not Amy Grant.
0: I need to let you know that Bright actually has another spot in history, because the very first song that aired on the Antidote was Psychedelic Super Jesus from Snakes in the Playground. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Snakes in the Playground, that was an exceptional album. Did Bride realize that when you were recording the album?
1: Uh, We had some hard times with recording Snakes because we did it at a a studio called The Salt Mine uh, outside of Nashville. And it was an old studio with a broken-down soundboard, and we brought in this producer... And I like the sound that he did for Novella, So I was like, yeah, we're we're up on him. Uh, his name is Plinky. Uh, we call him Plinky. He was instrumental in, in getting the sound that we had. Matter of fact, he ran the whole mix through a BBE Sonic Maximizer to get the sound that we have. And that's a little secret that if you want an album to sound like Snakes, you have to run it through a BBE Sonic Maximizer. <laughs> and you will get that raw sound. And we were going for a raw sound because Kinetic Faith was supposed to be that sound. But the producer took liberties after we had left the uh, studio and decided to add a lot of reverb and effects that the songs didn't need because, you know, I always thought my vocal was better when it was just pretty dry and you could hear all the cracks and breaks and out of pitch things and stuff, you know. And he he just went and kind of covered up what was real about the band, whereas Snakes in the Playground, that's what we were. You know, when people went and seen us live, You know, they they were getting that sort of sound.
0: Is that an ongoing problem with producers, how they really can alter and change what your intentions are? Or is it a good thing?
1: Well, one of the things that a producer likes to do is come in and change a song so he can put his name on song credits and get a point so he can make (laughs) some money. Uh, Once I found out that's what some producers were trying to do to us, I refused to change anything, even if it was bad. I would just keep it. So now I don't use any producers at all. I just self-produce everything myself. So, you know, I am the dictator of my own music and I'm, I'm quite content and I get along with myself real well. So I'm always in agreement. That's why I'm so busy.
0: You know, back to that song title, Psychedelic Super Jesus, I know quite a few Christians who were offended by that. I'm not so sure that they took the time to actually understand the song.
1: Yeah, to be honest, I'm quite offended by a lot of Christians, so I guess we're on the same page there. Um, no, it, it, I went to Cornerstone the previous year, which is a big festival in Bushnell, Illinois, that used to, to happen that, that the Jesus people, um, you know, Glenn Kaiser, Wendy Kaiser, and that from Rez Band they put on. And uh, I was out, you know, before gigs and stuff, walking around, talking to people and so forth, and I, I, I don't know, I just saw that, the whole hippie thing and the goth thing and, and all of that other stuff, man, it was, it was this big image of, of, I don't know, they were just turning Jesus into something that I was not happy with. They had allowed a Gothic store to be there that was selling all sorts of questionable things from the store. It just didn't strike me right. So I wrote that song, you know, basically toward that group of people to say, Hey, you know, this, I don't know, you might have taken him down off the cross, but you put flowers in his hair or you put him in leather, and uh, you're parading Jesus around like your pet. You don't see him as Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, you know? Uh, And it was just disheartening, you know? I saw all sorts of stuff. I won't go into detail, but it it was very disappointing, and I never wanted to go back to that festival after I seen that.
0: That's really unfortunate. Of course, I do realize that Christians come from different lifestyles, different life experiences. Has your life experience always been reflected through your music?
1: Uh, always. If somebody wants to know what's in my head, all they have to do is listen to my songs. You know, that's my life made into music. If, if I take a, up a cause, whether it's a political one, a religious one, social one, whatever, you know, if I'm calling for some sort of moral justice or whatever, it's because it's something that's been on my mind, something I've been pondering, something I have a great conviction about. So I want to get it out outside of me and and share it with other people that might, might either be enlightened or other people, you know, I don't need people's validation, but it's nice to know that, that you're not always alone in your thoughts and beliefs and your convictions.
0: Well, then it makes me curious to know how much has your faith and your convictions changed over the years?
1: Uh, my faith and convictions are the same, but my beliefs have changed quite a bit over the years. Um, because I was born and raised in Kentucky, you know, where Baptist rule, I grew up as a Methodist, then uh, turned Pentecostal, then turned uh, Assemblies of God, then turned non-denominational, then turned Church of God, and through all that, through... Wednesday night Bible studies, church three or four times on a Sunday, uh, all these fellowship groups and stuff, um, I had become something that uh, I thought I was supposed to have become, and I was believing what people were saying because it was the doctrine of that particular church affiliation. But when I really sat down and studied the Word of God for what it says, I came up with some different conclusions on a lot of different things And my faith remains positive. It remains strong. You know, my belief in Jesus has not changed. You know, like I said, Savior of the world. Nobody can come to Him unless the Holy Spirit draws them. You know, God sent Jesus. You know, the the whole thing, you know, I mean, I don't mean to minimize it, but I'm just saying that there's people today that they believe everything that the preacher says because he's been to the seminary or he has you know, read the latest book, and he can prepare the greatest sermons with all the projectors and all the words up on the wall, and he knows what he's going to say before he says it. And, you know, I just cannot be associated with uh, that type of religion. That religion, to me, uh, let me down. I felt a lot of it was forced, a lot of it was falsified. And once I had gone through some of the changes that I went through spiritually as an adult, I just found myself wanting more true fellowship. You know, uh, people say, well, you know, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. And I'm like, well, I'm not. Just because I don't have a home church does not mean that I do not associate with Christians, Mm -hmm. you know, and have fellowship with Christians. I guess you could say that, that a lot of times I feel like I'm on the outside looking in, but, you know, I am still as hardcore about getting people to recognize who Jesus is as I ever was.
0: Does that bother you feeling as if you're on the outside? It did in the beginning because, you know, I've always
1: told people what I know, I know, and you can't change me. But what I don't know, I'm open for discussion. And some of the things that I say that I know that I do know, you know, those things I I can't be moved on because those are things that God has showed me, not man, not a sermon, not because I was raised a Baptist or Methodist or whatever, you know, um, the things that I have learned in my spiritual walk came to me long after I was born again, long after I was baptized, long after I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And those things came from God because I, uh, I wasn't looking to change my mind on the way that I felt about anything because I was being prepped by the Church of God to take over a huge church, and I was going to be the senior pastor of this church. That God stopped me in my tracks and he said, that's not where I want you. So I uh, surrendered it to God and basically it just boiled down to him putting me through the fire and through some testing for about four years. And I came out on the other side, a completely
0: different person, but not in a bad way. No, no, definitely not.
1: No. in in a way that, yeah, I'll probably sing about some things that it's going to strike people as funny, but you know, I can definitely assure you that I'm not writing anything that does not point to the cross. Uh, You know, my prayer every day is, Lord, use me as an instrument and a vessel of your peace. Lord send me. That's the prayer that I pray. And He has. You know, I can't complain about all this music I'm doing because I ask for it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And they haven't thrown you out of New Zealand yet. You can't be that heretical.
1: Well. On the contrary, there, this is a this is an odd society here. This is more of a socialist government. Uh, a lot of people here do not have any faith. A lot of people are agnostic here. There is a strong church presence, but it's small. Um, I've had three different jobs since I've been here, and I've met one Christian in all three of those jobs. So it shows you you know the difference, you know, pretty outnumbered. Yeah, I overheard a coworker talking to uh, another coworker, and he said, yeah, I said, my daughter, she, she's got this friend, and her friend's a Christian. And well, I guess that's all right, but I don't want her doing that God thing. And I just, yeah, I didn't say anything. I just stood dumbfounded. And I'm thinking, well, maybe you want her to do drugs and alcohol and end up dead somewhere. I mean, people down here have the wrong uh, opinion, and they see God completely incorrectly.
0: Well, listen, I want to switch back to the music now. Earlier yeah. on, we talked about the Snakes in the Playground album. This summer, Bride released the follow-up to that album with Snake Eyes. I mean, <laughs> was, this was the decades of begging by your fans. It finally came to fruition, and you put the album out?
1: Well, we always thought that we were kind of doing a follow-up to Snakes. I thought Scarecrow Messiah was a great follow-up to Snakes, and... I even thought that Zarbama was a great follow-up to Snakes, but it wasn't until we put the word "snake" on an album that it seemed to satisfy people. <laughs> so we we put the word "snake" on the uh, the album cover, and uh, hey, they think it's Snakes too. So more power to them. It's a great album, but you know this is it was closer to Snakes Two than the last album that we we recorded.
0: There's a certain politician who I won't name who's famous for talking about fake news. Now, Brian right. put a spin on that with the song Fake News on Snake Eyes. Do you care to explain?
1: Uh, Yeah, because I, just, I saw all the fake news myself. You know, I'd go look up something and then, you know, you'd want to share it with people. Then you found out it was fake. So I was like, wow, you know, I mean, what's real and what's not? Real? I was hoping that the Trump campaign would take my song and use it. Maybe they haven't heard it yet, but... It'd be great if he come out with that song right before he talked to the press. I would be really stoked about that. That'd be cool. <laughs> you just see him coming out, you know, smiling and waving and hear me in the background singing. That would be awesome.
0: <laughs> well, I guess that unnamed politician doesn't have any effect on you anymore because we moved to the other side of the world. What was the attraction of going to New Zealand? A blonde <laughs> oh, there we go. Oh, it's the love interest.
1: Yes, I um, I had met my wife about five or six years ago now, but I I'd, I'd, I'd met her online. You know, I was single, uh, had had become single, and um, and I was uh, promoting the band that night, I think, and it was uh, New Year's Eve, and I saw her picture. Pop up. So, I, you know how people do the little pokes on Facebook. So I poked her and she poked me back. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. So I went over and looked at her profile picture. And I'm like, oh, wow, he's really pretty. It's, maybe I'll talk to her. So we started just chatting back and forth and everything. So we Skype dated for eight months. I was leaving my Skype on all the time. It was as if we were together, you know? After eight months, I did a two-week stint in New Zealand uh, to meet her family, uh, travel around the North Island uh, with her and to see the things and to see what I thought of New Zealand. And um, I left and came back to the United States, uh, put my house up for sale. I sold my three cars, my guns, got rid of my four dogs, to good homes, and liquidated and took all of my assets. And took me about three or four months to... So liquidate and then uh, got myself a work visa and legally came to New Zealand and uh, basically started my life over and I couldn't be happier. I'm a long way from friends and relatives and family and such, but, uh, you know, we, we do all stay in contact via the Internet.
0: Well, here we've been speaking about some of the other projects you're involved with. I've really gotten into one of them, The World Will Burn how do you manage that with you in New Zealand and your bandmate Alan being in Kentucky? Well, I didn't even know Alan
1: was a musician. All I knew him as is a guy that, that ran the soundboard for bride for, um, incorruptible when we were doing our rehearsals and he allowed us to rehearse, uh, in at his house some, and I think we rehearsed some at the bass player's house, Brad, but, um, so I, I moved to New Zealand not thinking anything about Alan as a musician. And he sent me this couple of tracks. It was his guitar, and he put bass on it and a drum machine. It was really good. I was like, is this really you, Alan? I said, that's good stuff. I said, let me, let me see if I can you know, put some words to it. And that's how it started. I had no idea Alan was the – and I had known him for years and did not know that he was a musician. I thought he was a sound guy. Huh. <laughs> Weirdest thing, but I mean it works because what happens is is whether it's Alan uh, or Miles from Dabster Gentleman or Garrett from the Thomas Thompson Earth Project or Diego from Perpetual Paranoia or whoever, even Troy this time, they send me the music, and I'll tell you the honest truth. What I do, I listen to the song one time, and I've got a folder here that's got stacks of lyrics. I'll grab a couple lyrics, hum a little bit, and I don't rehearse these songs. I used to rehearse all the songs with Bride 50 times before we we recorded them. What you're hearing on all of those albums that I've just done is my first impressions of the song. And I hear it in my head, and I sing it, and then I double it, and then I triple it, and I add all the weird voices and all the things in the background that you might think are keyboards as me, and I send it away, and I'm like, next so by the time I get a song, like I got this one this morning, in two hours it was finished with um, 12 vocal tracks, and I've sent it on to uh, the Dabster Gentleman uh, project. So that song's done. I did it in two hours. <laughs> Dale, you're a machine. Yep. Stuff just comes to me like that. If I don't get a song to do on a day, I'm disappointed because it's very fulfilling for me. So I'm constantly writing, I'm writing in my car, I'm writing while I'm I'm watching television, I'm writing in the bathroom, you know, uh, I wake up in the middle of the night and write. And uh, I write, I write, I write, I write. And, you know, this particular song that I just done, it's it's called Standing on the Bridge, for instance. Mm -hmm. And it's all scribbled up. I wrote it in one time, and I didn't change one word of it to go into a song that I had never heard before. And it just fit. Every word of it went in. You know, I I don't know. I mean, it's definitely God uh, working through me because I don't have that sort of ability. I'm, you know, I'm a bluegrass boy from Kentucky, so, you know.
0: (laughs) That's not normal. Well, I don't hear any bluegrass coming through on The World Will Burn. You cover so many (laughs) styles of hard music. I even hear a goth flavor coming through on the song, Brand New Song. There's
1: more of that coming on um, even the perpetual of paranoia. Um, I was trying really hard to get Randy Rose to sing on it, but I couldn't, couldn't work it out. Jimmy Brown, he wanted to do it, couldn't do it. Ray from Deny the Fallen, he wanted to sing on it. Uh, they all had projects going. And I got Chaz Bonds and I got Les Carlson singing on it. But there was a gothic part that I thought, man, you know, Eric Clayton can do great a Savior Machine. Sure. And and he, he just didn't come around for me, so I did it myself, and I'm quite happy with it. So um, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, so I can do some golf stuff, you know. I could be spooky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You've already mentioned a little bit earlier about Perpetual Paranoia. I've only heard one song from that, The Reapers.
1: Perpetual Paranoia is one of my favorite albums I've ever, ever done if I were ranking albums that I've done of all the broad and everything else, that would be in, in my top five, wow. uh, that, that album one from front to finish. There's only one track that, that I wish I would have went back and did something different on, but for the most part, um, 11 songs strong, you know, nine out of 10 stars. I'm, I'm quite happy with it. And one of the reasons I wanted to do, it, I really got tired of people saying that, that I couldn't do what I could do. Uh, because I hadn't screamed in a long time and I hadn't, you know, did all these operatic voices and stuff so I just put it all on that one album and it was like, there you go, you know <laughs> I'm just going to let loose, you know and and the second Perpetual which is being um, mixed right now, it's it's a lot heavier and there's a lot of craziness going on and I, I can't wait to hear it mixed because I have a feeling I've, I've been away from it so long it's going to blow my
0: mind, so <laughs> I still can't figure you out, though. I mean, is the well never going to run dry? Like, you know, no retirement ever for Dale Thompson?
1: No, probably not. Every time I try to retire, I get, you know, well, I started painting, you know. I started painting portraits and painting landscapes and painting abstract and all this. And that kept me busy for a while. But, you know, my real love was music, so I had to go back to it. But I've got a painting I have to finish because I think it's going to be the cover of the, uh, The World Will Burn. So I need to finish that up in the next month or so. Uh, painting is very satisfying, but music is is really the uh, the icing on the cake, so to speak.
0: <laughs> you brought it up multiple times, Dapster gentleman.
1: It's completely different than stuff that I've been doing. It's more reminiscent of of my older solo projects. You know, I did uh, four different solo projects in the past. One was kind of a folk thing. Three were kind of bluesy. This kind of falls in there. This, I mean, this has jazz in it. It's got soft rock. It's got a country flair at times. There's a trumpet even. I mean, it's it's wow. really a cool thing going on, and it's very much fun. I did a really good job with the lyrics. They're very well thought out. These four albums that I'm recording for Daps for Gentlemen were instrumental albums that have already been released. So he has sent me his instrumental albums for me to put lyrics to and melodies so this is a very difficult thing to do because there's no verses and choruses you just sing (laughs) so it's it's not set up like a normal song you know bride used to be verse chorus verse chorus bridge solo maybe half a chorus or go straight into a down verse two choruses out you know guitar solo somewhere in there you know but uh this here you don't have any idea what's coming next
0: Now I often ask artists to fill the slot for the last song of the night. Can I make you pick a single song from one of your music projects, and you tell us why you chose that?
1: Oh, let me think. Um, one of the one of the most fun songs that I have ever recorded or did live was "Hired Gun." When that song kicks in, and and uh, I know live I did this massive. Chris Cornell meets uh, I don't know uh, Ronnie James Dio meets Bruce Dickinson meets Ian Gillan screaming it. Uh, that song gave me cold chills when I played it. You know I would sing it. So that that song means a lot because it's you know I hope you and Jesus have it all worked out. And that's always my question to people. You know they um, had a bass player once and his question was always Is that what you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? But mine is. I hope you and Jesus have it all worked out and yeah, that's the tune for me.
0: <laughs> the antidote has been speaking with Dale Thompson. Dale, thanks so much for coming, man. This has been great.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Now I've gotta I've gotta get out of here and stack some firewood. <laughs> you got your work to do. <laughs> yeah.